Welcome to Season 7 of Beyond the Jargon, a conversation with grad students about their research journey here at the University of Victoria from CFUV 101.9 FM. This episode was created on the traditional territory of the Songhees, Eskimos, and West Sandwich peoples, whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day. I am your host, Taiwo Afolabi. Well, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Jargon. This is Taiwo Afolabi. Today, I'm in the studio with a very good friend and brother of mine. Uh, his name is Dennis Cooper. Uh, Dennis will introduce himself uh, shortly. But uh, something interesting about what Dennis is going to be talking about, uh, about today is how relevant and important his research is. Dennis is a theater director. He is a Vanier scholar and currently writing his PhD dissertation in applied theater here at the University of Victoria. It's good to have you on this uh uh, program beyond the jargon uh, today, Dennis. It's always beautiful to uh, have an encounter with you, Taiwan, um, the life and goodness of the world is blossoming every time that I talked with you. Thank you so much, uh, Dennis. Um, I, I know that I, I said something briefly about you, but I would love you to introduce yourself to the listeners out there. Hello, uh, lis listeners out there. It's a privilege to be here and to introduce myself to you. I am Dennis Gupa. I was born and raised in the Philippines. I came here in 2013, but prior to that, I was here also in Canada in 2012. Um, I primarily uh, went here to Canada for two pur purposes, to bring my art to this land and also eventually to engage in an academic uh, realm of understanding the art. So in 2013, I uh, went to University of British Columbia to uh, study M my MFA in theater directing because I'm a theater director in the Philippines. And then after two years, I received a degree and eventually uh, proceed to my PhD in applied theater here at the University of Victoria. Well, interesting. Um, I I've got a question for you right there. So uh, before we go into your research, as a theater director, why apply theater? That's a, um, a question that's uh, been asked to me several times uh, here in Canada. I, 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 I was drawn to that idea of informing my theater through a particular perspective, a particular lens, and that is uh, social justice. So I wanted to uh, expand my interest of aesthetics, artistic aesthetics, by linking it to that very idea of social justice. Because I came from a country where uh, the presence of crises are uh, negotiated 
it's not imagined. It's always lived. We have typhoons, earthquake, and so much poverty, ex- extreme poverty is there. I grew up in a very humble community. But in between all those crises is my theater. And I wanted to understand how this particular art is integrated or can be integrated deeply to making our community better. Interesting. And that, can, that, that brings me to my next question. What is your research about here at the University of Victoria? Yeah, you know, in 2013, when I've enrolled at the MFA a theater directing at UBC, which is a really fabulous program. I had that privilege of just focusing on my arts. I had many, many hours of doing theater, rehearsing, meeting this beautiful um, emerging theater artists in Canada and also of the world. Um, that was in 2013. And Suddenly, there was a big typhoon that hit the Philippines in November. So I came here in Canada September. And then two months after, there was this huge typhoon that hit the Philippines. It's called Super Typhoon Haiyan, or we call it in the Philippines, uh, Typhoon Yolanda. I was just... Um, shocked with the intensity of that typhoon. When I was looking at the photos online, there was this sudden dreamlike atmosphere that engulfed me because there was a total devastation. And my father's family was actually part of that uh, particular province where the typhoon entered. Meanwhile, I was busy understanding the uh, the beautiful art that I can create. That was the beginning of that pivotal moment of how, of the big question of how this particular art can be, can, can have a dialogue with, uh, with the sufferings of the people in not just in the Philippines, but in Pacific, Pacific, uh, those countries in the Pacific uh, Ring of Fire. So I said to myself, I'd like to continue uh, learning about theater in Canada and uh, while understanding its social, political uh, potency. So that was the, 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 the beginning of my uh, formal academic journey to apply theater. Interesting. So, uh, if if I if I understand you correctly, I there is a sense of personal connection to that inspire your yes. research yes. into using theater, apply yes. theater yes. to understand issues around climate change yes. and typhoon. Yes. And you want to speak more to that? Yes. Uh, uh, th- there is so much connections to to the theater and the typhoon. You know, um, I've spent two summers of of doing field research in this little island called Tobabao. And I've chosen this island as my field research because it is in the province where my father 
was uh, born and raised. So I wanted to reconnect to my ancestors and understand the stories of my ancestors in terms of 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 their experiences of um, you know, encountering typhoons. And it's also the uh, island that first received the intensity of Typhoon Yolanda. So I was in the ground zero of, of Typhoon Yolanda. Just a little footnote, Typhoon Yolanda uh, lost 10,000 people. And uh, until now, people are uh, trying to grapple with the uh, intensity and the trauma of that typhoon. So that, that was the, uh, perp- uh, the reason why I went to this island. And I lived there for two summers. My collaborators are the elders. And they're the ones who would tell me stories about typhoon. When you listen to them, I would really, uh, I would like to say that typhoon stories are very uh, dynamic and felt and performative because, again, it's not imagined. It's performing to you. You're imagining it, this living stories, you imagine it, and they are just alive. And I thought that the spirit of these stories are like theater. You know, they, they have the they have a breath. And people have lived with the intensities of many typhoons in this this uh, island. And I thought that this could be extended to a theatrical performance mm. to bring their stories out in the world so that we somehow could inform policies on mitigating climate change we need to we need to bring their voices we need to bring the voices of the elders because they have local knowledge in terms of um, relating with the environment the water the air the ocean the trees they're not separated in these ecologies you know they have uh, inherited a wisdom from their ancestors about about ecologies. And I feel that there should be spaces where they can tell this knowledge. And I see theater as one particular process and also a space. A theater is a space. A theater is a process. Theater is a way that we could engage people. Mm. Right and tell and, and through uh, and through telling the, the audience about their knowledge through theatrical performance is one interest that I have. Wow! Um, th- thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Uh, um, so the next question I would ask you, kind of, it's the how you know, it's the how question, and um, because you've been you've been talking about the what question, what you're doing, and how did you do it? How how did apply theater become like a method or a way of doing it? Um, how did you do that? What you know? What was the process like? I mean, working in in community that you you mentioned, listening was so important mm. to be able to co-create theatrical performance with them about them and about their stories, I had 
to listen. I had to be quiet. I had to just release myself from the many judgments that I have before going to this field site. We have, uh, well, they have a word for listening. It's called pamati. Pamati is uh, being cognizant to your emotion. When you're listening, you also listens to your emotion. What is happening to you when you are uh, receiving stories about trauma? And, and that listening becomes a way for me to be critical, to suspend judgment, and to understand that I have become so privileged. Although I am from the Philippines and experiencing crises is not unfamiliar to me, but to enter in a space where there's global experiences of crises is totally different. And I'm so also coming from Canada as a scholar at the University of Victoria. So I have received certain privileges in, 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 in life. Uh, to enter in the community is to listen. And that is a method to begin your method of creating art. I think that listening is significant uh, because when, when you listen, you also develop this humbling experience. You become intellectually humble, you know, and most especially I'm working with elders. These elders, they did not really finish schools. One elder that I worked, he just went to elementary and did not finish elementary uh, education. But the depth of his knowledge about caring the environment is so deep. So if I have this noisy things in my head, if I have this scientific <laughs> ideas, I would probably question the very knowledge of that elder but I had to listen and just allow myself to uh, be in sync with the demand of that humility mm. that you have to be quiet and be respectful of the space where you are uh, sitting standing sleeping in a space where people accommodated you with so much generosity and kindness. Interesting. So in the process of, you know, gathering the story, creating the story, bringing things together, you, you had to learn to be quiet. <laughs> you have to learn to be quiet. You know, um, we are taught to have method, methods of doing research, and that's really fantastic. fantastic. That's the reason why I went to school and the university, right, to engage with fabulous uh, mentors, giving us tools. And they're relevant. So I've learned participatory action research, like engaging people to uh, your work. So it has to begin for them. Okay. Instead of you, you know, giving the best suggestions 
you have to begin from these people. Another method that I, I have used is uh, autoethnography. So while studying about a particular worldview that is totally you know, uh, unfamiliar to me, I was also studying my own self. I'm embedding my stories to the stories that I have received from people. So there's a conversations of my story and their stories. So, and then I write about that. It's called the uh, autoethnography. And lastly, yes, the practice-based research. Like I have, because I'm a theater director, just like you, you're a theater director, and we think that theater can also be, you know, um, um, the processes of theater making can influence and inform our engagement with people. So I've used these three three methods of research. And within these methodologies, I think listening is so critical. Interesting. Deep, deep, deep listening. In- interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I, I must uh, highlight about Dennis is that is uh, is a consortium of, um, well, is is a hub of knowledge. Um, and he has so many experiences. He has work in Indonesia, in uh, uh, other countries in, in Southeast Asia. So I'm trying to highlight that because my next question would be, how did the practice of the people in terms of their theater, how did they inform the creation of your story, of your performance with them? They are not divorced with the water because it's an island. Interesting. Right? So it's surrounded by water. Mm. And their worldview, their way of living, mm. their identity, their spiritual and religious expressions are connected to the water. So one particular ritual, uh, so I'm studying ritual performances in this island, and I'm connecting that to traditional ecological knowledge. And when I say ecology, it is the water. So, um, and it's a Catholic community. So they have this Catholic icon called Baby Jesus or Santo Nino. And they, you know, at one point in, during, during the, the, the feast of Santo Nino, they will get the, the icon in the church and then they will bring it to the ocean, to the water. It's a pluvial parade with children in the boat. So the, there's Santo Nino, the baby Jesus icon, is in the boat with children. And I would ask, why? Why, why these kids, not, not adults? And the elders would tell me, you know, because baby Jesus likes to play in the water, <laughs> just like the children in this ocean. So playing in the water is connected to this idea of they would embed that playfulness to the icon. Mm. So they would bring the water to their religious religious expression, to their uh, ways of knowing, right? That idea of playing is still connected to the Catholic image of baby Jesus. Mm. 
Isn't that isn't that uh, interesting? So you one of the conclusions that you you can make here is you should not put you know pollution to the water because that's a space for children to play mm-hmm. and some religious icons. It's also a place for these religious icons to to play, and the children has to go there to play. So if your your water is full of toxics. How can they play? Mm. How can they play? So this is now th- this is now our role as scholars, as artists, to bring this knowledge out in the world. You know, they don't have parks in this. Uh, they don't have parks just like what we have here in Canada. They they the in the entire water is the park. Right? That's where they exercise their imagination. Mm-hmm. That's where they they go and make their bodies healthy because the fisherman would go there to row the boat. So that's their exercise. Mm-hmm. You know? Interesting. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, well, you if we can just take some couple of steps back and kind of speak a little bit about a little bit about the history, you know, the history, political history of the Philippines because you just mentioned you know the baby Jesus Santa mm-hmm. uh, Santa uh, Santo Nino Santo Nino Santo means saint Nino means kid, kid. it's a Spanish uh, word borrowed yeah. by the Filipinos so that doesn't sound like uh, an indigenous mm-hmm. or knowledge of yes, that yes, highland yes. So, if you want to speak about the history of yes, yes. how, you know, yeah, the yeah. connection to that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you for bringing that, uh, Taiwa, to this conversation because you are actually, in that question, you're o- opening many things. It's very complicated, <laughs> very, very complicated. Um, for some people probably who's listening uh, in this uh, podcast uh, and, ha- you know, have background about Philippine history, we were colonized by Spain for more than 300 years. Okay, in 1521, um, Ferdinand Magellan came to the island of Humunhon, where my field site uh, is located. And that little island, he landed there, and that was the beginning of his uh, exercise of of exploring of discovering of, of discovering quote unquote the Philippines <laughs> and in that discovery the intention really one of the mm, mm, several objectives of this expedition made by Ferdinand Magellan was to you know convert the the indigenous Filipinos and so they were bringing the Santo Nino mm-hmm. they have brought Santo Nino um, the image of Christ. They have, um, um, yeah, but uh, Catholicized the, the 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 Filipinos. And one of the and there's many in series series of of uh, Spanish uh, uh, incursion or encounters among the indigenous people. So they were, of course, they were bringing their belief systems. And in this belief system, you have some material things, right? So you have the cross and the image of uh, baby Jesus, Santo Nino. And, 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 to, and we have the indigenous people, Filipinos, have accommodated this. Because you have to think that 
the encounter would always have this kind of a gifting, right? So you come to our place, and they would be giving something. We receive something, and then we give you something. So one of the gifts given to these indigenous Filipino, Filipinos, the Visayan and the Warai, uh, was the cross and also the image of baby Jesus. And we have accommodated that. We made it our own. This indigenous people receive it, and then it became part of their uh, religious religious expression. So when you look at it, we're using the word uh, kind of a syncretic, the blending of different uh, religious uh, belief systems and expression. So there's a Catholic and there's also the indigenous belief system because before the, uh, the colonizers came, oh, we're basically, um, my ancestors would uh, polytheistic they believe in many gods there's god in the stone there's god there's, there's spirits in the water and in the uh, stones water air right so uh, if there's spirit in the ocean and santo nino is a god would it be exciting to have them meet together so this is now the creativity of that religious expression Interesting. of coming together of having that conversation. And we call this, you know, indigenizing uh, the things that come to our, uh, our community. Mm -hmm. Anything that you give me, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. But I'm also going to bring something there from my own worldview. And make it mine. To, to make it your own and to make it your... Uh, Oh, yeah, to make it mine. <laughs> yeah. mm. So after Spain, what happened? After Spain, uh, they've lost battle with United States mm. of America. We were sold by Spain to United States of America. And there's been a process of colonization. So we were uh, Americanized. Somebody said that the Philippines was under the 300 years in the convent and 50 years in Hollywood. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. And then, of course, the World War II happened. Mm. The Japanese came, and there was a battle between America and uh, Japan. So there's a moment that we were also colonized by Japan. All this uh, three, uh, you know, historical events converged to inform our ways of knowing the world, knowing our, uh, our, yeah, our lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, the reason why, why I kind of brought that question up in terms of looking into the history of the country itself is really to tie back to that whole idea of what does that mean for the Philippines right now in the context of, you know, in the context of your research, of, mm -hmm. obviously, we don't want to, we want to try yeah. to 
make it because it, that's a very big question mm-hmm. <laughs> into different aspects of the life but in the context of your research what does that mean looking at those histories and those memories and really looking at you know you know the spain and the us and japan and now the philippines and what does that what, what how does that affect your research mm-hmm. or or how does that inform your research in a way mm-hmm. of how you did your research yeah because i'm dealing with stories Hmm. Right. And uh, I, I and stories of, you know, strong weather events. Hmm. And when you can when you really expand that strong weather weather events, somehow you will touch on climate change. Hmm. All right. And climate change uh, is a story of crises. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Something something is is uh, tragic. Hmm. OK. And in that. Uh, ecological, quote-unquote, ecological tragedy, you get to hear stories of, you know, uh, these elders. Um, for um, It is entangled or it is connected to... Uh, you cannot separate the stories of, of, of climate crises to the economic, to the social... Hmm. Uh, political crisis, political yeah. crisis. It's, it's not disconnected it's all connected they're right? all yeah, connected exactly. and mm. we we want to use entangled mm. you know they're 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 like uh entrenched they're intertwined intertwined together right so for example i was at one point i was um you know, having a storytelling moment with uh, Tatai. Tatai means uh, father, so we they, they call they, we call our we call our elders Tatai there in Tubabo Island. Uh, yeah, Tatai uh, Juning, and he's a fisherman, and then he found he found one of his diving expeditions. He found this vessel like a aluminum vessel, all right? And from the depth of the water. And he said that it's actually a torpedo. They call it torpedo. And that very water was part of World War II, of lately gulfed, it's a it's a gulf and so the encounter between american and japanese the battle happened in that water so the debris of world war ii of course sunk in this water so he found one of this debris Hmm. right he found one of this debris and he used it now as a container of water Okay, um, th- so when you look at that particular v- v- torpedo, he called it a torpedo, mm. and it is hollowed, and he's using it as a way to catch water from the rain. And rain is, the, this particular island, they have difficulty with the water. They don't have proper uh, supply of the water. So they're really celebrating when there's rain. Okay, and and so you need a lot of containers save it. to save it. So to catch that water from the from the rain, Tatai used the torpedo. To, to, they call it torpedo or torpedo um, to to save the water. So the crisis of this World War Two is connected to that rain, keeping the rain 
uh, or, or, or keeping the water. Uh, you, you cannot, when you listen to them, you're listening to an entire history of crises and how they're able to transform these crises into creativity. So my work is actually looking at the creative acts after the crisis have happened. Hmm. All right. Wow. So did I answer your question? Yeah, so, yeah so absolutely. How, how, uh, yeah. Interesting. So, mm -hmm, so all this, this crises that happen, that overflows in our uh, islands are, are opportunities for uh, renewal of creativity. But of course, we don't welcome crises, right? Yeah, yeah. But they are able to... Uh, they've creatively find a way to take ownership, right, of whatever that experience is. And I, I'm, I, again, this is your yeah. research; it's mm -hmm. not mine. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just fascinating how they've been able to leave mm -hmm. with, you know, the the implication of whatever the crisis is, the World War II, for example, but they bring joy out of that in trying to every day, the practice of every day, trying to leave, creating strategies or tactic, right? They're definitely joy joyful people. Yeah, they're yeah. very happy people, but I'm not trying to fundamentalize or, you know, look at them as I'm, oh, I'm not happy, they're no, happy. No, no, obviously not, no. Yeah, but what I could say... And the resilience, right? Uh, yes, yes. And that resiliency is actually based on that renewal of uh, creative existence and living. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, but there's been a little politics with that very word resiliency in the context of the Philippines because mm. uh, it's been used by some... You know, uh, sadly, um, it's been politicized. Like, they're resilient people, therefore they're okay. Because of the, yeah, absolutely, they're yeah. okay to to suffer. That's mm -hmm. not the the thing, you know. I what I'm saying here is, these people have ways of knowing. In terms of 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 encountering crises. Mm. whether uh, colonial encounters, mm. Mm. ecological, you know, uh, destructions because of mining corporations that's happening in this uh, province. Um, they would say, they would, they would not say yes and no. They will coexist with it. And in that coexistence, you... I was able to understand how they look at justice. Mm. And that, that justice means their interconnection with ecology, interconnection with people, interconnection with foreigners. They are interconnected with all of the things that exist. So they're not separated. They're island people, but they're not se separated to to the vastness of this relationship, right? So just like what happened, I mean, Sp Spanish stayed in, in the Philippines for 300 years, but it's in the framework of colonization. Why is that? 
Why? You know, I think the responsibility now of that social justice is really coming from the outside. What is your social justice? If you have a clear social justice thing entering in the place, you you become respectful, right? You, you become a listener. More aware. More aware of what's happening to these people as opposed to, you know, taking and extracting and taking advantage of the people. Right? Or not just the people, but also the water or the trees. Why should you take advantage of the trees? Th that's what I've learned from them. You know, after the typhoons, there's been like headless of, of coconut trees. Coconut trees, this really cut. What's coconut trees? Co coconut trees, like coconut. Yeah, the coconut trees that yeah. we... Because they, they... Part of their life is you know to get um, 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 farming uh, coconut farming all right um, so so big typhoon happened the the coconut plantations all these coconut trees were headless or uprooted in that island one of the observations of my collaborators, because I also work with artists, I brought them in the island so that we can connect with um, with the, the, the people there to create performances. You know, the coconut trees, they did not really, those, those coconut trees that survived the typhoon, they would not cut or uproot them. They allow it to just grow. To grow. To grow. They will not, oh, oh that's already dead. It's, it's no longer um, relevant mm, to see. our economics. Let's remove and plant another coconut tree. No, th 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 that's not their way of, uh, that's not the way they think about um, life and death. You know, they allow it to, they just, it's just there. And new flowers are growing in that coconut tree. Okay, so it looks like, according to my collaborator, it looks like an altar, an altar of life. We're, you know, we're <laughs> like uh, we're the theater people, we're artists. We like to 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 interpret, but for them, they, there's no interpretation. It's always embodied. You know, they probably doesn't have that idea. It's an altar or a thing, but there's life there, according to one of this uh, the women that I've talked, and she said, "There's life. Why will you uproot it?" Right, and there's beautiful flowers in this headless coconut trees. Mm. Okay, and then one one fisherman said, "Oh, it still, it still, it still has life. I wouldn't bother to, you know, totally decimate it. No, but that coconut tree uh, clearly suffered from the intensity of typhoon. Mm. But just like people, it's also." Finding the renewal of life. Mm. So why is it, another thing here is, why is it we, we always think of our, ourselves as, as only uh, beings in the world. But for these people, you know, they're part of the whole uh, blossoming of life, whether the ocean, the clouds, the trees, and they cannot separate themselves from this ecology. Mm -mm. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. This is just um, inspiring. 
Um, I I'm hope I'm clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. If not, yeah. we can go back again and have another <laughs> chat. <laughs> It is clear. It's just you. You know, you're really um, engaging us with you know a different way of knowing, and and, and I think that's just beautiful. It's, It's different really from beautiful. us, no. It's yeah. re- it's like different because I came there like I'm theater person. I'm interested about um, going deep with my art. What is my process? What is my practice as a theater director? I'm an artist, okay. So my intention is really to make beautiful arts. But when I entered and when I was accommodated by these people in Tobago Island, you know, it's the art and. Um, eating, art, rituals, talking with people, washing clothes, they are not separated. They're all part of life. You know, so my, my tendency is to, yeah, I have rehearsal at, you know, uh, from um, 10 o'clock to, let's say, uh, 5 o'clock or, or 7 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock in the evening until 12 o'clock or in the Philippines that's my practice or here. How, what, what time do we uh, rehearse? Like 7 to 11, like that. Um, and then after that, you go and you sleep. But for these people, you know, everything, it's all connected. It's mm-hmm. connected. One of the women that I've worked, you know, she's, she's the leader of the ritual. She would organize the ritual performances. And the way I saw her leading the community to participate in the ritual is the same attitude on how she wash, washes the clothes. Very, very, there's method in everything that she does, you know, and very respectful to the clothes, the way that she respects people. Yeah, um, th- that's just an amazing experience for me. So the art, I'm learning that the art that I'm creating is not really separated from the environment. It's not separated from uh, the, everything. It's part. It has an everydayness. It is an everyday thing. Wow. Thank you so much, Dennis. Uh, you kind of speak to this next question I want to ask in a way, but perhaps you can just elaborate more on it. I mean, we're okay. in Canada, uh, and and I know that your work you know, did happen in, in the Philippines, but when we think about the global relevance of our research, and I know that's really very key, in what ways do you think that your research, you know, kind of, in what way can we connect that to Canada or, you know, even globally? What's the relevance? The relevance here, I think, is to stop thinking that we're the only beings in the world. Mm. Right? And there should be no hierarchy of that mm. life. Uh, life. Mm. That Dennis Gupa is as important as the tree. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it, could be, it sounds radical, but we should, I think, challenge ourselves to to deconstruct that very idea that we are in the center of the life. You know mm. that we should challenge ourselves in looking that uh, that ocean. I'm connected and I have a relationship with the ocean. If you hurt the ocean, if you make this ocean suffer, the people will also suffer, the fish would suffer, and 
all living creatures that is in that ocean will suffer. It's, well, that's what's happening to us right now, right? That is happening to us right now, you know, and it's been, I think, I have, I have, I be, I've learned to believe that as a human being, I can control other life forms, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm challenging myself not to believe in that anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is a lesson of relationship. To our, to every life form, mm. you know, we have to begin that there's life, and in that life, it's there's creativity, mm. and there's grace in everything mm. in that life, and 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 when you bring that to your practice mm. into your everyday life, the fullness of that life is experienced, right? Mm. And we're no longer talking about justice because you're now equal to everybody or everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate the swelling of climate movement because there's focus on caring for the environment. Yeah. And I th- I, I've learned from you know, staying for two summers in the island in in the island community they have deep deep uh, stewardship mm. and it's not just intellectually here it's not just intellectual that stewardship it is embodied it is practiced every day mm. mhm Wow, thank you so much, Dennis. Uh, this is, I think you've given us so much to to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also know. thinking about this. Yeah, the inter- we're yeah, all no, thank about you. It. Yeah, it's um, it's really powerful what theater or performance mm-hmm. art can, the possibility that it can actually expose us to if we can open our hearts and move from the head to the heart. Yeah, and it always should be connected. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, yeah, the the idea here as theater people, just like Tai Wall, we created a performance based on the stories that I've received, and these stories are are uh, replete with traditional ecological knowledge. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow! Well, thank you so much for being part of Beyond the Jargon. I. I know you are the writing face of your um, dissertation, yes. and and um, wishing really Thank wishing you. you all the best oh, with that. Oh, you're inspiring uh, <laughs> me because you're done your writing, so you have inspired me so much. Thank you so much. I, I don't know if you have any other question or anything you want to add. You want to tell our listeners out there before we wrap it up for this episode. Yeah, I just would like to thank everybody for listening this podcast. I am humbled every day to be living in this. Uh, beautiful land in this um, and the water here is connected to the water in the Philippines so somehow I don't think that I'm separated to the waters um, in the Philippines because we share the the Pacific Ocean so I I am humbled by that uh, connection I am also humbled 
to be given an opportunity to learn in the, uh, the University of Victoria and also the University of British Columbia. These two universities has, uh, have given me opportunities to really expand my understanding about my country and also of the world. And um, because of this, I have uh, learned to really commit on this beautiful art that uh, we all uh, in the theater department respect and love, which is theater. And I think as a theater people, our task is to, uh, mm, it should matter to people, it should matter to other com many communities that we work and also to the, the to every life form that it could serve yeah, so i thank you for that privilege of learning thank you so much dennis well this is um where we come to the end of this episode you've been listening to dennis cooper uh, a phd candidate here at the university of victoria uh in applied uh, in our department of theater uh, focusing on applied theater Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 101.9 FM. For interviewees, contact information, or to listen to this episode again, visit cfuvpodcast.com. You can also subscribe, read, or review Beyond the Jargon and other CFUV podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcasts.